1: Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. All right, we are here with a Liverpool off-season update. We're joined by Zach Forster, who, of course, you can find on Twitter at ZachForster underscore. Zach, pleased to have you back on. Uh, Plenty uh, to talk about Liverpool at the moment. Um, We'll start a little bit before uh the champions league final we'll go chronologically here um the start to the uh trip to kiev was a very rough one for many liverpool supporters as flights were being canceled people were trying to figure things out i saw a, a supporter that had been to every liverpool final in his lifetime wasn't able to make it to this one because of that um what was your take on all of those issues leading into the final
2: uh yeah i think um, it was just massively disappointing for everyone involved. Um obviously it all started with the real Madrid um fans potentially not attending around a thousand um deeming it too expensive basically to get there which it probably was um with the with the you know with the Far eastern location um and then it sort of moved on to Liverpool fans getting getting dumped on really um obviously the whole thing around around the witness based um travel agency sort of organization that couldn't supply the the flights in the end to kiev was was really disappointing but it's um i think it all comes down to, to how the UEFA have planned it i mean in the end um by all accounts people who made it to kiev really enjoyed the experience it looks amazing on twitter and you know on, on the news when you were looking at it but in terms of actually accessing um kiev it seemed like a logistical nightmare from the beginning And I feel as if the final shouldn't be that far out. I mean, obviously, UEFA have to plan these things years in advance, so they didn't know that two teams from sort of like the western side of Europe were going to get into the final. Um, So if two teams from Ukraine and Russia sort of got to the final, it would have been great. But getting that many fans... Because it obviously was, it was more than sixteen thousand fans each that travelled over, especially Liverpool. There was probably closer to thirty. Getting all those people out there is an absolute nightmare, and it just seems like UEFA need to think this through a bit, a bit more logically. Obviously, it was absolutely great. Um, the match went down as far as I know without a hitch. The concert beforehand looked amazing. All the fan parts looked really good. Apparently, Shevchenko Park was absolutely awesome. But yeah, for me, I feel like it, the the venue just needs to be thought of a little bit, a little bit more logically because, by all accounts, Kiev was quite difficult to get to.
1: Yeah, certainly there were a lot of problems surrounding that. Uh, but uh, fortunately, a lot of Liverpool fans did end up going there for the final, um, which ended up being pretty crazy. Uh, what what were your nerves like heading into that match?
2: I'm not gonna lie, I was I was. Quite. I don't know if it was confident. I was nervous when I woke up on the morning of the game, but sort of like traveling there because I I traveled over to to Liverpool to watch the game. Um, there was there was absolutely no chance of me affording a going to Kiev, although I would have absolutely loved to. Um, so yeah, we me myself, my brother, a friend, and a couple of cousins, we went across to Liverpool to watch the game. Um, I wasn't sort of like overly nervous. As I've got older, I've sort of like push the the anxiety to one side kind of um so yeah I don't know if I was I don't think I was being overconfident because I definitely didn't e- expect to beat Real Madrid in the European final but I don't know I just didn't have any nerves if that makes sense it's weird I wasn't here nor mm. there I was just sort of like looking forward to the game and like the event and having a few drinks with like you know good friends
1: yeah, it sounds like it was definitely a good time for those that both stayed home and actually got to make it all the way over. Uh next up we'll just get into the match. Obviously did not go uh the way you would have wanted. Um what what did you make of the match?
2: Um it was a real it was really strange having rewatched the game. Well, a lot of the game. I haven't watched the full game, but I've watched certain individual highlights and all, and the BT highlights and stuff. So I've seen like quite a lot of the game a second time. And third time, it was. I found myself sort of missing moments when I re watched it. I was sort of like, I was like, God, did that actually happen? And it was just because, like, I think I was just so stressed at, at the time. I was sort of missing things. But as I saw the game, I thought Liverpool bedded into the game really well, as, as we have in, in big games all season. And Real Madrid sort of looked like they were struggling. Um, to to contain us, maybe not contain us, but th- we were sort of flexing, causing a few problems in those first 30 minutes. And we definitely had the better of the play. I think I saw a stat from him, um, he's called Dan Kenny on on Twitter. Um, I think it was like 8-2 on shots, um, only 1-0 on, on target shots. I think it's from Trent, from Trent Alexander-Arnold. And it's sort of the touches in the box, Liverpool were completely dominant in. And I, I thought, I thought, I thought there was going to be um, an opener from from us, to be honest. But then, yeah, the game for me, the game just completely changed when Salah uh, became injured. Obviously, the, the reasons we conceded were not because our star winger and star player was not on the pitch, but it was. it's just seemed to. At first, it looked, like, it sort of looked like it made us drop ten yards deeper, and it also encouraged Marcelo on their on their left hand side to to push forward mm. and. He 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 didn't need to fear Lalana causing him any problems. He's probably he's definitely not hundred percent match fit. And to be honest, the drop in quality when Lalana comes onto the pitch for one of our front three is dramatic. So, um, yeah. If when when I saw Lalana coming on, I thought it might be okay, it might be okay. Like sort of thinking the best. But I think looking back, that that was a massive turning point. Then Real Madrid dominated the rest of the first half, and yeah, um, the second half. Was just littered with weirdness. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it certainly was. Um, there's obviously been a lot of um, stuff brought up around the the way in which Salah was hurt. Uh, what was your view of that injury? Do you think it was intentional, or do you think it was just kind of in the act of play? I
2: have to I have to be completely honest and stick with my guns. I I completely believe that Ramos has, has injured Salah deliberately. I, I I'm not saying that Ramos is um, thought, if I do this, he definitely will harm his shoulder and he will have to go off and he'll be out for the rest of the game, definitely. But at the very, very least, Ramos is thinking, okay, I've I've won the ball, I'm winning this duel. I'm going to leave something on him. And obviously, that has been done since football began, you know, over 100 years ago. That's absolutely fine. But the man... Sergio Ramos I've disliked for many years so I am biased in this, I will admit but he's just a nasty man on the pitch, he'll do anything to win and sort of like the faces and the gestures he was making after Salah had sort of gone off and when he was going off I'm just, it just leaves a bitter taste in the mouth and obviously the reputation of the man precedes him, he's a good player but as a man on, on the football pitch I think he's I think he's horrendous and then the rest of the game, the dive, like the, the play acting with Mane to get booked and yeah, it's just um and then the elbows carry us as well. I, I can't believe you wait for out looking into that further. I mean I know they I know they've looked into it and decided not to um retrospectively punish, but yeah, that that's as blatant as it gets. It, it, it's Sergio Ramos of course is blatant. So yeah, as you can tell, I'm, I'm still quite quite uh, bitter towards towards the man.
1: Yeah, I mean, neutrals um, certainly should not be surprised that Sergio Ramos has done this in the past. It just depends on if you're a true neutral like him or are against him. I I mean, uh, they find a way to win. You know, in England, when it happens, a lot of times it's called cheating the ref or, um, you know, foul play or anything like that, but... As you said, they, they win a lot, and that is one of the methods uh, used by Sergio Ramos to win. But do agree, <laughs> these kinds of incidents have not surrounded him his whole career uh, by chance, is <laughs> where I will leave that on my take on it. Um, You mentioned, uh, obviously, that Salah missing isn't why Lloris Karius, um had his struggles in goal. Yeah. Pr- pretty inarguably the worst game of his career, uh, definitely, yeah. since joining Liverpool. Um what do you feel towards Luis Carius following that match? Obviously a lot of people got uh, on his skin. Every fan base has the worst bits of it. I'm not trying to say that Liverpool fans as a whole were like that, but obviously there were some uh threats to his life, his family, yeah. stuff like that. Obviously, I know you don't feel that way, but, but what were your feelings towards Luis Carius after that match? Was it sympathy, anger? Just what were you feeling after that?
2: um straight away after the game and sort of like I sort of like switched off. Whilst I was travelling back, um, and then when I sort of like got in bed, um, you know, everything settled down, <clears throat> I ended up taking to Twitter and getting emotional, as I often do. Um, if if anyone listening follows me, you may have seen it before. And I was sort of just like saying Chris's mistakes were obviously inexcusable, and I just felt horrendous for the rest of the team. Like, I felt so sorry for them, like th- the performances they've put in to get there. Especially the front three. I mean, it's been like this for a long time. We've we've had like sort of like these star players who put in these great performances, and then like one week link or two week links will let them down. It goes back to sort of like Torres, Alonso, Gerard, Mascherano. It goes right all the way through to Salah, Coutinho, F- uh, Firmino. So that sort of feeling continued. Obviously, I feel like Karris has like everyone down. But then, as I settled in, um, as I thought about it a bit longer, I just feel so sorry for him. I mean. It's the biggest game of his career. It might be the biggest game of his entire career. I know he's only He's only, and he's only twenty four years old. So he's a young guy. He's young. He's younger than he's younger than myself. And I know that. I mean, he it's obviously magnified massively for a professional football. But I know how those mistakes can sort of just like make you feel awful. And I can't even imagine what it feels like to make a mistake like that when there's so many people watching. Um, it yeah. I just ended up feeling so so sorry for him. I I kind of wish that he could sort of just get back on the horse and come back fresh next season. Instead of having a whole off season. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of like, yeah, either that, like get straight back into a game or maybe go away with Germany or, or or whatever. And, and sort of like, just, just move on. But I feel like that's not going to happen. And, I'd love it if he was still the number one next season simply because he's made some really vital saves and I feel like he's got he can really improve. David de Gea wasn't amazing. He was obviously great when he was 24, but he wasn't the keeper that he is now. Um so I kind of wish, I wish he could just move on and be number one, but if someone said to me, Zach, tomorrow Jurgen Klopp can sign, you know, Alisson for 70 million, would you say yes or no? I'd say I'd just say yes. But I feel bad saying it because mm. I really, I really want him to still do well at Liverpool uh Karius. So yeah, it's one of those, I think, I think a lot, it's a, it's a combination of inexperience and the fact that he's Jurgen Klopp's goalkeeper. I mean, Shaka, Shaka Islop actually, um, I read quite an interesting piece that he said um, for ESPN. Um, and he was sort of saying that both goals are, are basically caused by carius wanting to like, engage the play straight away again so like obviously he's trying to roll the ball out to Lovren quickly to get Real Madrid under the cosh again and he's not he's just not checked normally a keeper will look left look right and look behind and then sort of like get on with it but he's not he's just like I mean Benzema he he obviously still sees him he's right next to him but yeah he—he he's not made sure and he's not fully concentrated he's just he's more worried about getting the play on again um, whereas sometimes you've got to look after the basics. And then the bail, the bail shot, um, his slot was sort of saying that his feet, are, he he sort of thinks that looking at Kerry's feet, that he wants to sort of like catch the ball and then or like bounce it down, you know, like as the ball comes to him and then catch it hmm. so that he can then like sprint out and like get the ball moving again with, with one of the defenders. And having looked at it again, I kind of agree with him. And the inexperience just comes in because... When Gareth Bale shoots, the ball changes direction about four times. I'm not saying it did when on that shot because it seemed to be quite straight, but it was dipping. So, and it always comes me, at
1: pace. That was actually, not to yeah. catch you off, that was something I was thinking of, is how many Premier League players are unleashing a shot from there that's going to have that much power and swerve on it. Yeah. Like, like that might be like. one of the first times he's seen that.
2: Yeah. And I mean, I'm not excusing him. He should save it. And the first one, it shouldn't be a goal either. But just 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 yeah i think that's what it is and his and his inexperience has, has just caught him out just save it i don't care where it goes just save it
1: an and, optimist would say he uh-huh. won't make that mistake again
2: yeah exactly and uh, hopefully not and that's where i say inexperience now is he ho- hopefully he's learned that now and um yeah. it won't happen to him again in his career so yeah, yeah. and i i but think that's a huge
1: part of development is uh, you know, it's it's easy to forget the things that you've done well. It's very hard to forget the things that have been as catastrophic as that. So, yeah, uh, you know, hopefully he's the kind of person that will take it on and, and as we said, never make mistakes like that again. Unfortunately, with goalkeepers, we've, al- we've also seen them have kind of tender temperaments at times, and uh, I totally agree with you. I, hopefully he will be able to uh, get past this and move on, and hopefully it's for Liverpool. But as you said, uh, I don't think Liverpool is a club after that performance can ignore external possibilities like they may not pursue them, but yeah, you know, it, it's certainly their duty to look into it. Um, all right, we will leave that individual match there. Uh, we didn't get to do this when we had um, uh, Dave on previously because your season was not over now with the whole season completed for you both English and European campaigns done. Uh, what did you make of Liverpool season on the whole?
0: This has
2: been the most enjoyable season I've ever watched of Liverpool since I started supporting them. Mm. Um, Probably probably since I was like eight or whatever. Um, Yeah, I've absolutely loved it. Um, Watching from watching the second leg of the City game in Austria on a a ski holiday, surrounded by Liverpool and City fans, to going to Liverpool for the final and celebrating when we're beating Brighton and like all the all the positivity around that. Um we've got the top four again. We've solidified <clears throat> sort of solidified our place in the Champions League. Um the campaign to get to the final is definitely not gonna noticed. I think um I think it's really put us back on the map in terms of um foreign fans um Players in in other leagues um, that maybe don't get to see the Premier League all the time. Um, I think it just helps us with that recruitment, and and hopefully we can follow, um, follow the trend that we're setting with players such as um, Keita, Van Dyke, um, Salah, Mane, and then obviously just now uh, Fabinho. So I think and and the money it's obviously gained as well. I mean, getting to the final of the Champions League gets you a hell of a lot of money. And so does qualifying again. So yeah. It was in a really good way. The fan base is united. Everyone loves the manager. Um, it's just we were just a bad day, didn't we, on Saturday?
1: <laughs> yeah, which by the way, uh some team has during every final. Um, so no uh no hard feelings there, hopefully. Um yeah. Next, you, you just mentioned him, Fabinho. This is one yeah. of the quickest high-profile signings I may have ever seen. I know Tottenham yeah. did one like this with uh, Nasser Chadley uh, when he was leaving the Eredivisie, but these are slightly different uh, <laughs> levels there. <laughs> um, first of all, how do you think that Liverpool kept this under wraps for so long? Because it sounds like negotiations have been going on for a while, and that even Firmino had been involved, and you assume he wouldn't have been involved this week uh, with the final coming up.
2: Yeah, um, I, I, I truly, I have no idea how they've kept it this quiet. Um, apparently negotiations have been ongoing since February, which is obviously, you know, at least three months. Then, um, it seems like, um, you know, Michael Edwards has just been a, a very busy boy, and um, it's really good to see that Liverpool have learned from the whole Van Dyck saga from last season. Obviously, Southampton um, were understandably, very angry with um, you know, with certain details coming out too early. um and then obviously, Red Bull Leipzig just took us to town with cater. and yeah, that was that was just as embarrassing in my opinion. So yeah,' it's good to see that they've learned from the mistakes, but honestly, no idea how they kept it this quiet. Um the first I heard of it yesterday, I was just playing on my Xbox and opened, opened, opened and there's a couple of French journalists saying that Fabinho's on the brink of Liverpool. So and then a, a couple of games later, and, and he's wearing red. So yeah, honestly, I've never seen anything like it. Um, even on sort of like the final day of, of transfer windows, this is it, it's almost unheard of.
1: Yeah, it was pretty incredible. It was it was almost just about an hour from the first uh, report from yeah. uh, I think it's Mohamed Bofasi um, yeah, it, yeah, with RMC, and then <laughs> an hour later, there he is wearing his uh, Liverpool kit, doing the whole. Uh, appearance video which very much looked like much of your PR time had started their vacation on Sunday but um, <laughs> you know uh, obviously you'd much rather have the player in and announced um he's obviously a very versatile player a very good young player who should fit in with Klopp well where do you think he will fit in though obviously he can play as a central midfielder or a defensive midfielder he's even played
2: some right back uh where do you think he'll be most utilized um I think in terms of my first, as soon as I heard about the the potential signing and then obviously the confirmation, my first thoughts turned to Liverpool maybe changing shape to four two two two, and Fabinho being in sort of like the double pivot with um, with Naby Keita. So that'd be the DM. Um, it, if that's the case, then I think um, we'll see Fakir joining him as well at some point, and then Mane, Firmino, and Salah completing the other three spots um if it's if if it was to be the same shape as this season so 433 i think it'd be dm again um but um very much filling in at, at full backs sort of like in tran- in defensive transition um because obviously we we know he's got um good experience um at champions league level and and um the french uh, top division um at right back so um yeah very versatile um sort of like Sort of like better James Milner in some respects because you know with the multiple positions that they can fill in the squad, um, it means you don't have to go out and buy two specialists sort of thing. Um, it's really, it just looks a great sign on paper. Apparently, um, he runs close to twelve kilometers on average per game, which is incredible, um, and. I- uh simon brundish i saw on um twitter said he, in the in x amount of years i'm not entirely sure how many years it was but he's only missed three percent of the games and that's obviously a great figure for someone who's so athletic and so dynamic and you know he's um he's so good at sort of dribbling at pace and running hard so and going into tackles hard as well because obviously he's got a bit of bite to him he's not scared of picking up yellow cards um so, yeah, it's good to see that he stays fit as well. I, th- I think it's a great sign. And I'm really happy with it. I think the fee is quite reasonable as well, especially to uh, apparently take him off Manchester United um, sort of sort of thing is um, a little sweet bonus.
1: <laughs> Certainly is. Um, then, basically, as soon as the kind of whirlwind of signing him faded, there were already journalists saying that it sounds like there will be another player added this week. Uh, kind of rumors abound that it could be Nabil Fakir. Do you think that's who it will be? And if so, how do you think he'd fit in?
2: Um, I, I don't know. In terms of how he'd fit in, I think, um, as I said just then, uh, it, it, possibly four two two two, and he 2 and he'd play sort of like right attacking mid, Mane left attacking mid, then Salah Firmino sort of up front. Could also be four two three one, 2 um, with Fakir coming off either side. Um. If it's four three three, then it'll be Cater and Fakir in the eights, with with Fabinho in the six. Um, hopefully, he, he can be brought in, It'd be absolutely amazing. But I, it seems like he's taking his time with this one. Obviously, Leon's his boyhood club; he doesn't want to rush into any decision. It kind of looks like it's the right time for him to leave and sort of like branch out and take the next step in his career. Um, so, I think I think he will end up leaving. Um, whether it's before the World Cup or not, it seems like he wants to do it after the World Cup, but the rumours going away that it's going to happen before. Um, I, I think it'd be a great signing. I'd, I'd, love, to, I'd love to see him um, in Liverpool red. Um, but yeah, it, I can't see it being anyone else this week if there is another signing. I mean, Alisson's obviously away with Brazil for, and Foucault obviously with France, but yeah, it's, it's just mad. You never know what's going to happen. I mean, Fabinho... It literally just happened over the course of about sixty minutes so. Could um it could be it could be this week. I hope it is.
1: Yeah, uh, well you discussed uh, goalkeeper. Obviously Fabinho's already brought in, Fakir's being rumored. Any other uh positions that you think Liverpool need to sort out this summer?
2: Um It'd be nice if we could sign a top-class right centre-back. Um, Lovren's performances over the season have improved since Spurs sort of like dismantled him. Um, and he was he was probably our best player in the Champions League final. He, he, I thought he played really well. Um, didn't really give anything away. Got the assist for Mane. Um, yeah, played superbly. But yeah, but it'd be nice if we could get a really top-quality right centre-back um, and then maybe goalkeeper. And then Fakir... Um, for the midfield. Potentially, I mean, I expect us to lose Danny Higgs and, and Danny Sturridge, so whether I don't know whether we'd bring um Divock Origi back in and then maybe promote a young striker like Brewster when he comes back from his injury or if we'd sign another striker and move Origi on as well as the other two. Um, so maybe a striker, but I, I, I wouldn't be uh, unhappy if we didn't sign a striker so long as we sort of like brought Sturridge or Origi back into the mix. But I think Sturridge's time's, uh, time at Liverpool is coming to an end. Um, so it, it'd probably be Origi. And then Solanke backing up like he has this season. Hopefully he can be more productive um, next season. But yeah, um, I don't know. Maybe, um, say, I was going to say a, 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 sub, a sub-winger so so the quality doesn't drop too much if if Mane or Salah has to take time out. But if we, if we were to sign for Kia then he could probably come into that category um maybe playing a little bit more narrow but yeah and maybe harry wilson's out on loan at Hull as well he'll, he'll be back and i hope he gets some first team minutes too so um that that that'd do me fine <laughs> uh, F- fabinho uh for and allison that's fine
1: <laughs> yep that'll do um <laughs> all right uh well thanks so much zach for coming on know the beginning was painful but obviously i uh, hope in the second and assuming that's probably why liverpool uh are pushing out these uh, transfers now. Um, yeah. Tell the folks where they can find you.
2: Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter, uh, Zach Forster underscore. Um, you'll find my Liverpool musings and World Cup musings ahead uh, for the next month or so. The- I apologise for my throat today, by the way. It's been it's been a bit gone since Saturday after all the singing.
1: <laughs> no problem. <laughs> thanks,
2: uh, thanks for having me on, anyway.
1: Yeah, absolute pleasure having you on. I'm sure we'll speak soon.
2: Yep. Cheers, Mum. See ya.